All right, well, let's get into our message this morning. Um, We are in the final week of our series where we've been walking through the life of Joseph. And this week we're going to look at a few final key verses. And as we do, we're also going to kind of look back at the the larger story and some of the larger themes that that Joseph and his life in this story teaches us about about God. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 50 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can grab one. Pull it out, turn to Genesis 50. If you're using one of the pew rack Bibles in front of you, we're going to be on page 43. That only applies to the pew Bibles. If you brought your own, it probably isn't 43. Don't be fooled. So um, we are at the end of this story. Uh, Joseph's family has now come to live in Egypt. They've moved from Canaan to Egypt. They've been living there in kind of a a state or a suburb in, in Egypt called Goshen. They've been there for 17 years. And in our story today, finally, Jacob, Joseph's father, dies. And the first half of chapter 50 is the author simply giving us the informational details of what happens. There's an Egyptian period of mourning for 70 days. Then Joseph asks Pharaoh if he can take his father back to their homeland to bury him there. Pharaoh agrees, and so they go. The whole family, a giant contingent, travels back to the land of Canaan to to bury Jacob there. And then um, finally the whole family comes back to Egypt as they promised. And that's the first 14 verses of chapter 50. But then, in verse 15, the author does something different. The author actually flashes us back to the moment when Jacob first dies, only this time, instead of sort of an informational perspective, the author gives us a relational perspective. What is happening inside the family dynamics, specifically between Joseph and his brothers? And that's where we'll pick up the story today. Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Now you have to remember at this point, it has been... 17 years since they first reconciled with their brother and have been living together all those years as a family in Egypt. 17 years have gone by and still there are doubts and fears and insecurities tainting and infecting the family relationships. What if Joseph still holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. There's a lot of speculation about if this is just made up or happened, we don't know. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, came to Joseph, Joseph wept. If you were here last week, you'll remember that tears are something that we see throughout this story. Time and time again, Joseph expresses significant emotional pain and sorrow. And here again, many, many years later, the brothers are still not sure if Joseph has completely forgiven them. And when they express this to him, Joseph weeps. He weeps because... The reconciled relationship he longs to have with his brothers is 
still not there. He weeps because again, in this moment, he realizes, my very own brothers still don't trust me. After all these years, they are still secretly wondering, am I holding a deep-seated grudge? And friends, we talked about this a little last week, but let me say it again in a different way. Forgiveness does not require reconciliation, but in order for there to be complete reconciliation, there must be complete forgiveness. In other words, you can forgive someone and still not seek reconciliation. In fact, in some cases, especially when there is abuse, forgiveness should be pursued, but reconciliation may not be a good idea. It may not be wise. However, if you want reconciliation, if you want full reconciliation in a relationship, forgiveness must be fully offered and received. There is no reconciliation without forgiveness. You can have forgiveness without reconciliation, but not reconciliation without forgiveness. And this morning, we are going to explore this question. How is Joseph able to fully forgive his brothers? How in the world, after what they did to him, beating him, throwing him in a pit, selling him into slavery, how in the world, after all they have put him through, is he able to fully forgive them? Because that is a tall order. In fact, it's such a tall order that his brothers aren't even sure he can do it. But what we'll find out today is that he has. Joseph has forgiven his brothers. And this morning, again, we're going to discover how, specifically, what he doesn't do, what he does do, and what it leads to. I made that a little rhyme so you could remember it. What he doesn't do, what he does do, and what it leads to. Verse 18. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Here is the first key to full forgiveness. What Joseph doesn't do is put himself in God's seat. Friends, this is such an important theme in the Bible. In fact, us trying to be God is at the heart of every single one of our issues and problems. If you whittle all the way back into the very heart of all of our sin, we find this reality, our desire to Sit in God's seat. I'll give you an example. We go all the way back to the very beginning when things in our world first went off the rails. Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve, you know the story. They're in the garden. God gives them only one command. Just one. You can do anything you want in this world except don't eat from this one tree. And I've said it before, as a seven on the Enneagram, this is the greatest reality you can possibly imagine, life with only one rule. The rest of you non-rule followers are with me. But then, what happens? The serpent shows up and they are tempted. And the serpent says what? He says, hey, 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 hey. If you do eat from the tree, then you will be like God. You can be like God. And the question is, what does he mean by that? What's behind that claim? Because here's the tricky thing about the very best lies. And you know this. 
They always have an element of truth in them. And so when the serpent says, eat from this tree and you will be like God, does he mean that there is magic potion in the fruit and suddenly they will become mystically transformed into these sovereign, omnipotent beings? No. No. The kernel of truth in the serpent's statement is actually much simpler than that. What he's saying is if you determine in this moment, if you decide to eat the fruit from this tree and you determine that you will decide what is right and what is wrong instead of letting God be the determiner of what is right and what is wrong, then you will be acting as if you are God. You will be putting yourself in God's seat. And friends, Joseph is very aware of our temptation to do this in so many ways. And one of the ways that we put ourselves in God's seat, that we try to be God and like God, is by doing exactly what Joseph is accused of in this passage, by holding a grudge. By holding a grudge. You see, when we hold on to resentments and bitterness, When we hold a grudge, when we cling to our longings for vengeance and revenge, we are putting ourselves in God's seat. We are trying to be like God. We are essentially saying this. I know what that person deserves. And I don't trust you, God, that you will give it to them. So I am going to have to go ahead and do it myself. God, this person hurt me, and you aren't making them pay in the way that I think they should pay. So why don't you get out of the driver's seat, let me take over for just a minute, so I can give them what they really deserve, and then you can take back over. And what they deserve, clearly, is this nasty email that I'm about to send. (laughs) Or this negative comment or subtle insinuation that I'll make about them behind their back. Or maybe the worst one for all you husbands out there, the silent treatment. Or something passive-aggressive. Or clearly what they deserve is something I can do intentionally to hurt them so that I can get my pound of flesh for what they have done for me. Friends, There is so much temptation for us to do this, for us to seek vengeance and revenge in big and very small and subtle ways, especially when we have been hurt and wounded. This is why God says so very clearly to us, why he gives us such clear commands on this. In Romans chapter 12, it says, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. You see, God says, yeah, you have been hurt. You have been wronged. You have been wounded. But especially in those moments, be very careful to stay out of my seat. And I want to be real clear here about something that I'm not saying. I am not saying The scriptures are not saying, the story of Joseph is not saying that we are to ignore wrong things that happen in our world and not pursue justice or correction. If someone does something wrong and disciplinary justice is called for, we should pursue that in the right way, in the way that God would have us to. I am not talking here about turning a blind eye to sinful behavior and just allowing it to continue 
in the name of grace or love. Justice and revenge are not the same thing. Justice is to be pursued. Revenge is not. In this passage, we are talking about revenge, not justice. Likewise, correction and revenge are not the same thing. Correction is a good thing. It's a needed thing. Revenge is not. If one of your kids punches another kid in the face or calls them a mean name, your response should not be, you know what? God will deal with you someday. Romans chapter 12. Now go on and play. Right? Not what we're talking about here. Because God wants to correct them. And he wants to correct them right now in that moment through you, the authority that he has put in their life. So there's a difference between justice and correction and vengeance and revenge. Joseph is dealing with the latter. And he says, I will not seek revenge. I will not put myself in God's seat. Next, he says, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, to fully forgive his brothers, what Joseph doesn't do is put himself in God's seat. He resists the temptation to step into God's shoes. But what he does do is keep a tight grip on and make sure that he remembers God's sovereignty. Friends, this is huge. This is probably the biggest point in the story of Joseph. In fact, if you miss every other point that we have made for all seven weeks in this story, this is the main one. Remember God's sovereignty. Remember that in everything that has happened, in all the highs and in all the lows, in all the good and in all the evil, in all the triumphs and in all the tragedies, in all the successes and in all the scandals, God has been at work amidst them all to accomplish his good purposes in and through Joseph. And because this is not just a vague idea or bumper sticker, sticker Bible verse for Joseph, because he really and truly believes this, because it's a belief that goes way, way down deep into his heart and soul, because of that, he can choose forgiveness over vengeance. Joseph does not have to get even to make things right with his brothers because he trusts that God has and will make things right. And this is true on a macro level, right? Joseph essentially says to his brothers this, you did this terrible, evil thing. Again, he doesn't, you know, whitewash it. He doesn't just shove it, up, shove it under the rug. He says, you did this terrible, evil thing. You sold me into slavery. You beat me. But then God used your terrible, evil thing to bring me to Egypt and to put me in a position of power so that I could use my gifts and talents with him to save food for an upcoming famine so that many, 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 many people would not starve to death. God uses all things, Joseph says, to accomplish his good plans on a cosmic, global, all of humanity, all of time, macro level. That's how huge it is. That's how all-encompassing it is for Joseph. But it's also very small for Joseph. It's also personal. We also see this principle play out on a micro level. 
a personal level. Remember at the beginning of this story how Jacob, the father, is not that great of a father? Remember way back to the very first message and Jacob is fathering these these boys, this family, and he doesn't treat them fairly or equally, and he especially spoils Joseph, like gives him a bunch of stuff when he only gives, you know, gives like, Joseph gets like six presents at Christmas and the other kids only get two. And he gets really good stuff, they get bad stuff. So specifically, we, we heard about the coat of many colors, the, the, the technicolor dream coat, this ornate robe he gets, and the other brothers don't get one, right? We hear about this, and he spoils Joseph. And because of this, this poor fathering that Jacob does, Joseph is on, as a, as a result, on his way to becoming a spoiled, rotten little brat. He's well on his way, as we see in that chapter, chapter 37, to becoming a self-centered, narcissistic person. And part of the reason for that, again, is because Joseph lacks discipline in his life. He lacks a father who will apply the right kind of discipline in his life to straighten out his character and help him become the kind of man he should be. And so because Jacob is failing, Joseph is going sideways, but then what do we see happen? What happens next is this. God intervenes. God intervenes on Joseph's behalf and he becomes Joseph's Joseph's father above and beyond his earthly father. You see, if you want to understand the story of Joseph, you have to understand what God tells us in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 12. This is an amazing principle. Most people don't think about life from this perspective, but this is how the Bible tells us to think about and look at and experience life. This is, listen to Hebrews 12, verses 7 through 11. This is again Paul talking to Christ followers in this world, people who are following Jesus in this world. So this might apply to you as well. Endure hardship as discipline. I'll say that again. Endure hardship, that's pretty broad, right? As discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits, that's God, and live? They, that's our earthly fathers, they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. And here what Paul is doing is he's acknowledging that it was not always the right way, that our earthly fathers didn't always discipline us in the right way. Some of you had earthly fathers who did not discipline you well at all. They were either much too permissive or way too harsh. But he continues, he says, but God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Now, we're going to connect this to the story of Joseph in just a minute, but first I want to point out that the word translated discipline throughout this passage is the Greek word pedia, pedia, and it's where we get our English word 
pediatrics, same root word. And we all know what pediatrics is, right? It's the care for children so they can grow up strong and healthy. It's the care we give kids so they can be healthy. And this word means something similar. It means this. Padilla means to oversee the entire environment of a child so the child receives whatever he or she needs to grow up healthy, strong, and mature. Now, the reason that the New Testament scholars translate this word padilla as discipline is because padilla is child nurture with teeth. It's not wimpy. It's the idea that you must be willing to bring sharp, unpleasant things into a child's life to correct them. In other words, if a child lies, if the child steals, if the child is selfish, there must be corrective action. But also, here's another nuance about Padilla. Padilla, in Padilla, there's a big distinction between correction and retribution. In other words, the very clear goal of Padilla, even when it is applying unpleasant things to a child for correction, the very clear goal is correction, not punishment or vengeance. The goal of Padilla is a changed heart and a transformed life. Now, you know that as human parents, we sometimes fall short when it comes to this. We don't always exercise Padilla I'm thinking specifically of Pastor Paul. I'm just kidding, Pastor Paul. Um, We fall short here, right? Our kids do something and it impacts us. Now, all you parents out there, just soak this in. Your kids do something, it impacts you. It impacts us. It frustrates us. It inconveniences us. They do something and now it's going to cost us time or money. And so what do we do? We discipline them, but... Our real motivation sometimes in that moment is not, I really want you to learn and grow from this. It's, you have caused me pain and discomfort and now you're gonna get some pain and discomfort as well, right? Like, I'm going to get my pound of flesh from you, kid, right? Through whatever means. Just the other day, this happened in my home. One of my kids took my iPad without asking and broke it. Oh, heck yeah. And in that moment, because I am the perfect father, I thought, how can I help this child learn and grow? <laughs> it's not what I thought. I thought, that's going to cost me a lot of time and energy and money. And now, kid, you're going to pay. <laughs> not Padilla. But friends, God is never like this. He is never out for a pound of flesh. He is never out for vengeance or retribution. He offers us perfect padilla, perfect discipline through the hardships of this world. That's what it says in Hebrews. Through the struggles and hardships we face in this world, God offers us perfect padilla. Listen to how Tim Keller says this. This is beautiful. God will bring the external brokenness of the world into a relationship with the internal brokenness of your life in just such a way that it teaches you, wakes you up, strengthens you, heals you. Padilla. You see, Joseph says, because I believe in God's power to do that, because I believe in God's 
sovereignty because I believe God is in control of everything that happens in this world and that he uses all of it for his grand purposes and also his nurturing discipline of me. Because of that strongly held belief, I do not have to hold on to bitterness and resentment and vengeance, but instead I can now fully believe because of that truth, I can fully believe or forgive my brothers. I can fully forgive. So let me stop right here and ask this. What if, like Joseph, you really believed that too? What if you really believed that? Not just in a, I came to church and we said it on Sunday because it was the right thing to say or it was a cool verse to stick on my mirror or my bumper sticker. No, what if in the depth of your heart and soul you believed that God was sovereign, that he would work all things in this world for his cosmic plans, but also to nurture you and train you and discipline you into just the person he longs for you to believe? What if you really believed that God was truly using every struggle and hardship and difficulty and challenge, every wrong you faced in this world to transform you into the person that he longs for you to be. How would that belief impact your ability to forgive? If you really believed what Joseph's story teaches in Romans 8.28 says, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, I think if you believed that, if you really did, you wouldn't have to throw a fit on the freeway when someone cuts you off. But you'd instead say, thank you, the Lord is teaching me patience <laughs> through your terrible driving. You see, I think if you really believe that, you wouldn't have to carry around a grudge towards your boss for that decision she made three years ago. You see, I think if you really believe that, you wouldn't have to carry all that bitterness towards your sister around. You see, I think if you really believe that, maybe you could even forgive your mom for those things that she constantly said to you when you were growing up. You see, I think if you believe that God was at work in the midst of your hardship, even in, amidst the wrongs that other people did to you, you might even be able to forgive your father for what he did to you. Yep. And again, maybe because of what happened, the truth is you shouldn't try to reconcile that relationship. That would not be wise on this side of heaven. Maybe that wouldn't be a healthy thing, but you could forgive. You could be free of that load of anger and resentment and frustration and vengeance that you are forced to carry around all the time. If you really believe that, you could have freedom from all that anger and unrest. What if it were true that God was just powerful enough to use that terrible, maybe even inconceivable thing to change you and shape you and help you be the person he longs for you to be? What if he was that sovereign? You see, when we truly believe that God is using all things for his cosmic plans and also for our personal transformation, suddenly the deep lows and sorrows of our life also have deep meaning and purpose. You see, suddenly, if that's true, there's no such thing as meaning, empty, empty, 
uh, less suffering. It all has a deep meaning and purpose because God will use all things, all of it, every single thing in your life. And we can even have peace and perseverance for the struggles and hardships and disappointments and betrayals that lie ahead because God will use those too. So what Joseph doesn't do is put himself in God's seat. What he does do is cling to and remember the fact that God is sovereign. And finally, what it leads to is the ability to love our enemies. Verse 21. So then, this is Joseph's words to his brothers. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he, re- and he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. See, Joseph doesn't just forgive them in an abstract way. He actually shows them love. He's able to love the same brothers, the very same brothers who beat him and sold him into slavery. And what we see here, really, friends, is that the first two points lead to the third point. The reason Joseph is able to fully forgive and love his brothers and show them kindness is because first, he does not put himself in God's seat. He's that humble. He receives humility. He takes on humility from the Lord and says, I won't put myself in God's seat. Second, he trusts God's sovereign power. He's that Confident, he has that much confidence in the Lord. So he has humility from the Lord and he has confidence in the Lord. And when you put the humility of trusting God together with the confidence that comes from trusting God, suddenly you have a humble confidence that will fuel your ability to forgive and love and offer grace in ways that you could never muster up on your own. See, the humility and confidence of God at work in your soul will empower you to do things that you can't even imagine. And so again, friends, we end this story in the same way we began it, by saying this story is not about trying really, really hard to be as good a person as Joseph was. Please do not take that away. This story is about allowing the good news of God's amazing love for you to both humble you and give you confidence so that you can be transformed into the person God longs for you to be. A radically forgiving, loving, grace-filled person. You see, the story of Joseph is actually just a glimmer, just a foreshadowing of the gospel. The good news that God moves into your life, that God moves into your life and says, even though you don't deserve it, Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, I can become your father. I can start to father you the way that I fathered Joseph. And that reality, the reality of God's undeserved love for you, should bring both massive humility and massive confidence. Humility as you see that you could never have saved yourself. Humility as you realize that to redeem your life, Jesus had to die. 
But then also massive confidence when you realize that he did die for you and now nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, when you are changed like Joseph was changed by God's amazing grace, then all of a sudden forgiveness, even of your greatest enemies and biggest hurts, becomes something that is possible. Not easy, not instantaneous, but possible by the power of God. So this morning, I'm going to once again invite you to the table to take the bread and the cup to remember and declare through this meal God's great love for you and to be fueled again with massive amounts of humility and massive amounts of confidence to receive the confidence and the humility that is offered to you in the cross, in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And maybe today, God wants to aim that humility and that confidence towards someone in your life that you either need to begin to or continue to fully forgive. You know, just this week, I was preparing this message and um, one thing I try to do every single time I preach is ask myself all the questions that I'm going to ask you on a Sunday. It is a brutally painful and yet wonderfully enriching practice. (laughs) Um, And so I marinate on these questions all week and then I get preached at twice on Sunday because I come twice. And then they linger around for the rest of the day and into Monday and sometimes longer. And so I found myself this week asking this question. How about you, Dave? If if you really believed that even in the midst of someone hurting you or doing you wrong, God was at work to lovingly discipline you into the person he longs for you to be, if you really believed that, Dave, is there anyone that you would more fully forgive? And of course, because that's who God is, he's always at work, he's always gracious to continue to work on us. He dug up a person in a situation, a person that I have honestly, mostly forgiven. But what I discovered this week in this passage is that there were a few lingering scraps of unforgiveness still sitting there. And what God said to me is, Dave, in light of my love for you, in light of my sovereignty, in light of my promises, don't you think it's time for us to sweep up these remaining scraps? And so that's what I'll be doing this morning. I did it first hour. I brought that person with me to the table and said, Lord, in light of your love, in light of the great work that you have done in me, can you help me take care of a few more scraps in this situation? And then as life moves on, I'll create more things for Jesus to clean up and he'll be faithful to do it. And so this morning I invite you in just a minute, after I pray, when Josh and the team come back up to lead us in worship, I invite you to come to the table and ask God, is there anyone I need to bring to this table with me today? Anyone that you need me to begin to or continue to or or, or finish off the work of forgiveness with? Is there anyone that God is bringing to mind for you? Got any brothers in your life? Because God, in his sovereignty, wants to fill you with humility and he wants to fill you with confidence and he wants to do the work of forgiveness in you and through you so that this world will never be the same and it's not always easy, but it is rich. Amen?
Father, this morning I'm going to pray specifically for anyone who is here who the person that you dug up for them is a tough person. And it was a tough thing or a tough season or a tough moment or life or years. And I know there's people in this room right now who are thinking, I'm not ready, I don't want to, I don't know if I can, Lord. And I'm not asking for you to do everything all at once. I know that's not how you work, but that you would shift us and move us and help us to start to see those people differently. Give us wisdom and discernment. Help us to understand ourselves and what we're ready for. Bring people into our lives to walk alongside us, especially as we walk into some of those difficult and more challenging relationships that have gone off the rails. But Spirit, you do what you need to do today. You bring the people to mind in this room that need to be brought to mind, and then you help us take the right steps forward as we remember and declare again your great love for us seen in the death and resurrection of your son. We love you. We love you, Father. Thank you for being our King and Lord and Savior and friend. All right. Hey, our Joseph series is over, but don't even think about skipping church next week because our very own Pastor Carl Palmer is preaching, and he texted me earlier this week and said, finally, there's going to be some good preaching again in this church. But I forgave him this morning in this... No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say that. He's humble and gracious, but he's going to bless us next week. So come and bring your friends and look forward to that. It's going to be great. Um, I'll just send you with these words from Joseph. Uh, Before I do, I'll remind you that there's prayer in the back. If you're just needing help entering into that place where you can forgive someone or you're facing a time of hardship and it's difficult to see how God could even be in it how he could even use it. Sometimes it's good to be with other people and just ask them to pray for you. There's folks in the back in the connect room. Also, don't forget about our CMK team and uh, if you're called to be in ministry with our kids here. But I'll send you off with these words. I love them from Joseph. Do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done what is now being done. You see, even now, at every moment, God's at work using the hardships and struggles of the past and the present and thinking ahead to the future to change you and transform you into the person he longs for you to be. So go with hope and confidence and humility into this world as agents of love and forgiveness. That is a way of saying, go be the church. Amen? God bless you, friends. We'll see you next week.